making connections, becoming one nation, a step at a time. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Making Connections. Today we have Andrew Kastashin. He is a resident of Ottawa, Piscat, Ontario. He's a member of council. He's also the recreational director. And most importantly, he's Shannon Kastashin's father of Shannon's dream. He's a man of many hats who brings a lot of knowledge and wisdom to our conversation today. So hope you enjoy it. We also have Paula with us. Hi, Dan. Yeah, this is another continuation of uh, our conversation with Andrew Kusachin, who has enlightened us with this uh, wise experience and, and, and the experience of his mom uh, going to, to a residential school and, and how it affected him and how it, how it affected his family. And I think it's, it's very interesting. And, and then and we talk about, um, you know, us being parents and relating this to to the situation that, that, that he, his mother experienced. And, and if you think about it, if you put what happened to them into perspective, it, it's, uh, it's, those are sad times that, that happened in Canadian history. You, you can't even put it in perspective. Let's be, let's be honest, especially in today's world, right? Like, you know, we talk about equality and everything like that. Imagine somebody taking your child away at seven years old. You know, we, we, we're, we're parents. You said it yourself, I have a seven-year-old son now. Imagine taking your child away to go live somewhere else and learn a new way of life to be taken, you have to have your culture taken away. And it's, it's, it's a very sad part of history and he touches on it and he, he speaks as from somebody who's, who's in the shoes, which is always nice. It's not just us trying to speak of something that we've never experienced. He's gone through the experience. His loved ones have gone through the experience and he talks about the history of residential schools. So we were, we've been lucky because we've heard this story multiple times back in 2017, when we had a group of soccer boys there, he told this story to our group and, you know, we were just so in tune with what he was saying because, you know, he really, your, your, your attention really gravitates to him because the way he speaks and you could tell he speaks from the heart and he's experienced this and you couldn't imagine, you know, families today having been broken up because we're here, they are trying to blend, uh, you know, into one culture and take having their culture taken away from them. And it's, it's really, it's, it's unfair. That's the reality to it. And, you know, it's, it's such a tragedy that, you know, families have to suffer this or had to suffer this. And we hope that history never repeats itself. That's let's start there. And, you know, he, he brings a, a lot of knowledge to this and he, he shares a story and it's, it's very, it's heartfelt for sure. Yeah, it, it is tragic. It would be a tragic situation if it happened to, to any of us today, uh, losing our language, losing our, um, our culture. But, you know, it's even more tragic when you talk about First Nations and, and indigenous, indigenous peoples because their culture is totally different from ours. They live off the land. They have their, their way of, of communi- communicating and, 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 and staying in touch with the land and the animals and, and the way they do things. Um, the skills that they learn out out in the out in the land, those things were all lost, and those are things that you can never. They are not on paper. Most of them, they are just passed on from generation to generation, and they, there's a huge gap now. This last 100 years, the, our indigenous communities have lost a lot of the history, and that's that's I think. You, you, I mean, it's not more tragic than losing a child, but that's as tragic because you lose a whole history you lose you know thousands of years of of accumulated knowledge that's tragic as well so i mean and and it's unbelievable that our governments have allowed this to go on you were talking about just 30 years ago you know we're not talking about 200 years ago we're talking about recent times 
for sure. And, you know, it, it's, you know, we talk about how sad this is and stuff like that, but I was always raised in, you know, I was born and raised in Canada. I'm a, I'm a true Canadian. I have immigrant parents. And one of the things I've learned as a Canadian is we're a very diverse country. Okay. There's many different races and cultures and we accept all to, to, to sit back and say, how are we trying to take a, a culture away and blend, a, you know, an entire culture into one? It's, it doesn't make sense. It goes against the grain. That, that's my opinion. You know, we, we still welcome immigrants into our country, letting them share their, you know, they, they're allowed to keep their religion. They're allowed to keep their cultures. We welcome that. And that goes completely against everything we've, we've taught and what we've, we try to encourage today. Exactly. And listen, and like you, I, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant myself. I mean, you, I was born not in Canada. I was born, you know, somewhere else. And I feel Canadian. You know, you don't have to force me to be Canadian. You know, I assimilate on my own terms because anybody that, you know, and if you look at Canada, Canada is a very tolerant and accepting country. And we all feel Canadian, regardless of practicing the culture that we, our parents taught us. Or in, my, 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 in my case, I learned it because I, I was 18 when I came here. So that does make me less Canadian. And, and if anybody tries to take that away from me, I would be really upset. So you talk about now the people who actually own this land. It's like me coming into your house and saying, okay, whatever you do now, you're going you're gonna to do it all differently because we're in charge. Actually, let me do, let me do something else. I'll take away your house too, okay? Yeah. So, <laughs> and you live on my own terms. Yeah, and that's and what happened, it, right? Let's do it in a hurtful manner, not just yeah. in, a, in a soft way. Like if, if you even wanted to try that, which is wrong in all, in all cases, but to do it in an abusive manner in many ways. And that's, that's a strong word, but that's the reality. I mean, of course, that is what it is now. And it's not fair. And I do think, I, I think we need to do a better job of creating awareness. I do. I think personally, we, we throw this word around reconciliation a little too loosely because I don't think there's enough being done and I'm not pointing fingers at who needs to do more because, you know, I think as a, as a whole um, nation, we could all do a little bit more. And it's one thing to create awareness, but it's one thing to actually take steps towards reconciliation, not just give money and say, okay, let's create awareness and let's make, you know, a couple posters. It's got to go beyond that. You know, it's, it's got to let the culture know that, hey, we're behind you. We're not going to let history repeat itself. Let's try to, you know, make everybody as comfortable as possible moving forward and understand that this is, you know, your, your, your culture is your culture, but you're, you're a true Canadian and, you know. I, I just think this word reconciliation gets thrown around again, a little too loosely. We, we talk about it, but not enough's being done. And, you know, and I'm not trying to give kudos to ourselves, but I think we have young kids that we bring up there to really make connections. And that's, what's important because here we are. I mean, you and I, we, we sit back when we go on these, these trips, you know, we just guide our, our students and our kids, our young ambassadors to do something and they just do it so freely and, and, and so genuinely and, it's just you could tell that there's it's so passionate that they it's it's truly amazing to see that. And that's, to me, reconciliation or at least a step towards it, because we have young kids connecting with one kids, uh, young kids there and they, they become one. You know, they, they become friends and they 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 don't talk about the differences and they don't talk about I have this and you have that and we're different and we're, we're separated. No, the only thing that separates us is distance because they're now home connecting through social media, connecting through Snapchat and Facebook and everything like that. They've made long distance friends that they could go back and they could recognize a face and call them by first name and say, Hey, we're good. We're friends. And I think those are steps towards it. And it's creating, it's, there's a lot of education behind it when we bring our students up there. So I think that's really nice as well, because every time I could say the same for you, I think I speak for both of us. When we go up there, we learn something new every time we're there. 
you know, and I'm speaking of Atahuapiscat for those who are just tuning in for the first time. You know, we bring our groups to Atahuapiscat and we learn something new every time, whether it be the history, whether it be the land, whether it be the culture, whether it be learning something about ourselves. There's, it's so educational, it's experiential learning. And by bringing our kids there, I really do think we're taking steps towards reconciliation. But that's the problem with what we do is, unfortunately, at, this, at the level that we're working at is we're a small group bringing a small group to work with a small community. It'd be nice over time, and I'm hoping, and I know this is our plan, that we could grow this nationwide and bring more and more small groups to work with these other communities, and everybody could take steps towards reconciliation for the future to come. That is true, reconciliation. And we see it firsthand, like you said. Yeah. There's a huge impact on, on, on our kids and, and on the youth up there because they can make that connection and grow. To, look at us. I mean, we made connections with adults because of this, these trips. I mean, Andrew Kostachin wouldn't be in, in our circle if you, it wasn't for this, these trips, right? So this is true connections. These are true connections and true reconciliation. So, I mean, let's just get straight into it and listen to Andrew talk about, you know, the, his, his mom's um, uh, experience in residential schools. And uh, like you said, it's a tragedy. So let's hear it firsthand then. For sure. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the second year, I think, uh, you know, we got to really know each other more. I think I, I felt comfortable uh, sharing my myself because uh, I got we got to know each other better. So I, I guess, uh, came out naturally when uh, when I uh, spoke to the group about uh, my experience growing up. My mother was taken uh, from her family when she was seven years old. And really think about that. Seven years old. Right at the time when young girls are starting to learn about, you know, not only their language, but getting to feel uh, or aware of what's going on in their lives. You know, seven years old, you're starting to see you know who your mother is. You know who your father is. Well, my mother was taken away right at that age. She was just seven years old. And uh, she was taken in a, in a boat. And uh, where we were stay, where, where we're from, it's, uh, it wasn't in Attawapiskat, but uh, my traditional homeland is another maybe... Uh, I'd say close to 200 kilometers north here. But anyway, uh, they, they, it's a small, it was a small settlement at one point. And uh, the mission boat is what they used to call that. Uh, they, brought, uh, they brought the boat and uh, they gather up all the children in that, uh, in that boat and uh, to uh, ship them off to uh, Fort Albany. And that was a two-day trip. So my, my mom told us that uh, they had to overnight somewhere along the shores of uh, James Bay because they couldn't make the whole trip. And uh, she remembers being cold and she remembers kids crying inside the boat. And, you know, she shared all, like, her experience like that. At seven years old, I, I can never really take that in. At seven years old, I could. Not really imagine what she went through. Seven years old to be taken from your mom and dad. 
you know, and uh, and that had a like uh, a deep impact uh, in me as well. She had me when she was a young girl, and you know, I think she was nineteen when she had me, and uh, and and she grew up for the best part of her young life. Like uh, I think she was at residential school for ten years. So she never saw or actually seen her mother raised her, raised her kids. She never felt that, that she was so disconnected with her mother, with her own mother. I'm talking about my mother. So when she had me, and, and don't get me uh, wrong, I, you know, my mother was a loving, caring, very kind woman. She was despite of what she experienced in, in the residential school. But uh, she didn't have her par parental qualities. She lacked those. So the hugs didn't come as often because she never experienced that. She was so detached from uh, her mother. So when... When uh, she came back, she lost all that, the, the closeness, the nurturing and all that. Uh, she, didn't, she never felt that in, in, uh, growing up in an institution. So that really had a, a, a deep impact with me. I remember I never had that closeness like a mother should have with her, with her child. So I grew up like that, and uh, it took us a while. I think when uh, when I was a teenager, I finally, you know, felt the need to sit down with her. And uh, it was only later on in my life I realized why she she did she didn't have all those uh, motherly qualities, if you want to call them that. The love was there, you know. She 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 showed, you know, she didn't say it. She didn't say, you know, how some mothers say, I love you, son, or I love you, daughter. You know, those the words didn't come, but her, through her actions, she demonstrated love. You know, whether it be uh, cooking your favorite meal or, you know, um, even mom would, uh, she even did it uh, when, when, when she was to come over to my, my place, uh, having to make your special tea and bring it to you. That, to me, was her trying to uh, reconnect that uh, that uh, uh, closeness. And uh, it, it took a lot of years. It really took a lot of years. I remember hugging my mom. I, I had left home when I was 13 years old. I went to Ottawa to go to high school. So I was in and out of the community for the best part of my teenagers. And then I went on to college. And then after college, I, I was living in Toronto uh, for maybe four, close to five years. I was living in Thornhill in Toronto. I, I had a job. I had left home to find a job there, but then I decided to, to come home and uh, I was missing home a lot. So I made the decision to come back home. And I remember uh, my first birthday when I came home, 
again, mom showed her love by cooking me my favorite meal and she made a cake. And I remember after we had eaten, eaten uh, she was in the kitchen uh, washing dishes and I went to thank her. And I went behind her to hug her like this. And I could feel that, that fear, would it be fear or stiffness? Like I almost scared her by hugging her. And I didn't think of it at the time. It was only after, after a while, I, like, you know, I started hearing about residential school and I start understanding it more and more, and I start talking about it to my mother. That I realized like, why those things were like that. You know, uh, having to hug your mom should be a natural thing, and she she didn't have that because she was torn away from her own mother when she was uh, a child. That uh, that uh, disconnect from her mother had uh, had the deep impact on her, where she couldn't do that with her own kids. So a lot of survivors were like that, and this is where uh, the term "dysfunctional families" come to term. But uh, we were far from being dysfunctional. We were, uh, how would I say, uh, impacted by the uh, institutional by the instit institutionalization. I don't know if that's the word, but that's the word I can come up with uh, uh, that had affected her in so many ways uh, growing up. So, but uh, she maintained her culture her traditional life. Uh, I remember she loved to go out on the land and she loved to, uh, you know, uh, survive off the land. I have a camp uh, out on the island here, which is about maybe an hour, an hour and a half by uh, snowmobile or by boat ride. It's uh, about the same, uh, same uh, amount of time to get there. We would go with her. And she had kept uh, a lot of the knowledge that, that she saw her parents do. I remember my girls, there's an, this is another story I didn't share with the group, but I remember my girls, uh, my two daughters went to high school in New Lisker. And uh, I remember the first year they were there, they came home. And uh, Shannon, my late daughter, was uh, was was sharing her uh her experience uh, being in uh, being away from home and how homesick she gets, and she was even doubting whether to go back. and uh, And my mom was here, and uh, she was telling her granddaughters, "She says, you know, they used to come and get us in a boat in August, and I wouldn't see my parents again until late June or early July." So. A little girl, imagine that, eh? like a seven-year-old would leave her parents in a boat in August and they wouldn't see them. She wouldn't even go home for Christmas. She would stay in that institution almost a full year. 
until she would see her parents again. And she will only see them maybe a month and a half during the summer. And then the board would come again and haul them off. And she was like that for 10 years. She lived her young life as a child like that. And that's the, the, the horror stories of residential school. A lot of, you know, people like my mom went through that. And uh, a lot of these kids, and you're going to hear this in Canada. This is where Canada, the government is trying to, to hide the truth. A lot of these kids were abused in those, in those buildings. Not only physical abuse, sexual abuse. You know, that's the truth. You know, I mentioned before I worked with two, uh, two uh, the survivors uh, where I work at the uh, at the arena, at the recreational facility. I work with two survivors. They're in their seventies. They're still working, and some of the stories they share, you know, it's hard to believe. You know, one of them has a scar, like a, a, a really thick scar under, like just on his ear here because uh, a brother, uh, he dropped something from a book. He was opening up a book, and this is during mass. He would open up a book, and something fell out from a book, and he just tapped uh, I guess there was girls on the other side. She just tapped the girl to say, can you pass me that bookmarker or whatever that fell out from the book? And uh, a nun saw, that, saw him doing that during Mass. And on his way out, he was saying on his way out after Mass, that nun was waiting for him by the door. And as soon as he walked out the door, he grabbed him so hard by the ear, twisted his ear almost twisted his ear off. He said he had a, like that, the, the, the mark on his ear. He showed it to me, like there was a scar, almost had his ear ripped off, you know? And he remembers that. I says, I was nine years old. I was nine years old when that happened to me. The abuse, it's hard to believe. And this is what, the government is trying to cover up, to hide. Why? We don't know. Even, I'm not attacking the, the religion or anything, but even the Catholic Church hasn't put up an apology, hasn't acknowledged that this happened to like the, the, the children of uh, the First Nations or the indigenous people. They did, he, the Catholic Church, you know, and it's very sad, you know, that uh, that uh, they haven't acknowledged that. But it will, it will, you know, I believe, I believe in the good. I believe in, you know, not like in all good honesty. I believe in all that. And it will come out. It has to come out. It has to because not until that comes, then we can start our healing as people, as human beings. You know, we're, 
We're the original people of this land. We've been here long before the contact, and we lived a very, like, harmonious life with with the land, with everything, with with the animals, with with everything. And uh, you know, one day all this will be taught to the to the future generation and. You know, everybody will understand what really happened, what really took place in Canada. Canada is a beautiful country. Don't get me wrong. We live in a beautiful country. But we have a past that needs to be acknowledged. We have a past that needs to, to really be brought out so people don't understand the truth, what happened. That's what I shared. And uh, and thank you, Paul, Paulo, for... Uh, that with me like I love sharing that story because the more I share it with people and I urge you all like all of you here retell my story tell our stories let other people know that you know this this person who is whose mother went to residential school tell my retell my stories I urge you, I implore you to, you know, share my stories with other people, no matter who, who they are. Tell them what, what the people of this country went through, the original people of this country went through. Because the more we do that, the more we share stories about what happened. You know, they hide these things. We, you're not going to learn these things in, in your schools, but one day you will. You know, they're going to tell the real story of what happened to the indigenous people of this land. It has to be told because, you know, not until that happens, everybody will feel proud to be Canadian. But not until that happens, you know, we need, we need to do our part. And I, and I, again, I urge all of you to share these stories and, and find out more what happened. Now that we have internet, you know, we can we can uh, we can see what's going on all over. So the discovery of the unmarked graves didn't happen for no reason. There's a reason for that, I feel, and it's gonna bring out the truth. And uh, the truth need to be need to be told. So, again, I thank you for allowing me to share that. Thank you. It's a heartfelt account from a person who has experienced firsthand the consequences of, of being part of a residential school in Canada. And that, unfortunately, has happened for too long and for too many people. Yeah, you know what? I, I just want to touch on the fact that I hope people enjoyed that because it's always a pleasure to hear Andrew speak. You know, he speaks from the heart. We've heard him speak so many times. You know, he's, he's actually become genuine friends of ours. He always takes care of us when we're visiting the community. So, you know, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, you know, I, I hope it's affected you guys as it's affected us. And we'll all learn to grow from this. Well, that concludes another episode of Making Connections. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you guys again soon.
making connections, becoming one nation, a step at a time.